Hello and welcome to Stranger Stopping Strangers. This is the podcast number 23. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in. A uh, big welcome back to anyone who's returning and thanks for stopping in and checking us out to uh, anyone who's new. So this week's podcast, I get to talk to Rob Rossman and uh, such an amazing guy. We had so much fun. Uh, we originally connected on Facebook through a page that's called Dead Minuteman. And this is the spot that has just the greatest pictures and videos from all the live music that's going on all the time. And it's uh, from small local bands to big venue and concerts. And uh, it's really a place that you go and you, you really feel like you were part of whatever was happening. So such a great place to visit. Um, Rob's story starts in Philadelphia in the mid-1980s with some kind of amazing concerts that got him going. And it takes us all the way up through to today and and really into the future where he tells us about a concert that he's putting on called The Tree of Life, which is in February uh, on the 25th at the Rough Trade Center in Brooklyn. And uh, some amazing musicians and 100% of the proceeds go to the Ferncliff Manor, which is a residential home for children with developmental disabilities. So definitely check that out if you are on the East Coast. So enjoy the podcast. We had just such a good time going through, I'm sure, what's just a tiny fraction of his shows and experiences. And um, as always, just a, a lot of fun and some great tunes and stories. So thanks, as always, for checking in and uh, be back soon. Bye. Well, welcome, Rob, to Strangers Shopping Strangers. Hi, it's good to be here. Oh, I'm so glad to have you on. Um, this is exciting. We've we've talked on the phone, and oh my goodness, I mean, you have so many stories that I, I can't imagine. We're just going to get a little piece of them in uh, in the hour or so podcast here. Right. I'm going to try and uh, uh, fit inside stories too. You know, there's been a lot of people and places over the years, and. Uh, I don't want to forget anybody as best as I can. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's start at the beginning because I have found so this has become the operating rhythm. Everyone wants to know what what sucked you in. So I want to hear a little bit about you know early days music and uh, and early concerts, and then we'll we'll play uh, some music. Excellent. Okay. Well, you know when I first started going to concerts, uh, I was about 15 years old, and my first shows were. Uh, you know, U2 shows and um, at the Tower Theater in Philly and um, police shows, uh, at JFK. And I, I had an opportunity to sort of jump on to the music scene at the very end of the, uh, the new wave bandwagon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I was, I had an opportunity to go as a, 15-year-old, I was at Live Aid in Philly back when I was 15 years old, and uh, it was a 24-hour show. Wow. little-known thing about Live Aid is that um, the first band wasn't the Hooters, which are a Philly band. The first band was really Run DMC. They came out before anyone else came out as the crowd was coming into JFK, and they sang My Adidas, and it was, it was an awesome moment in mu- musically. Wow. For sure. Wow. Yeah, that concert really uh, I, was, you know, one for the books, for sure. Well, yeah, no, Live Aid was 
uh, a moment in time. It really was. It was almost a 36-hour experience, and I was a young person at the time, so it was a it was crazy way to sort of get indoctrinated into the music scene in Philly at the time. You know, everybody in Philly, you know, that's my age, the guys from Philly are in the two. We're in the two things. It really was ice hockey and the Grateful Dead. <laughs> so. Around 1987, I start, my friends and I, we started going to, uh, to see the Grateful Dead. And, uh, my, my close friends, their, um, their first cousin had always worked in management for Mickey Hart. So over the years, we got tickets, uh, courtesy of Mickey Hart. I can't remember if the first show that I went to was a, a, a courtesy ticket, but, uh, it may have been. So, but the first, show I went to was in September of 87 at the Spectrum, and it was right after some memorable shows I know at at Madison Square Garden of that year, too. Yeah. No, that was a banner year, 87. I mean, that was, uh, I mean, that was right when, you know, the new album came out and people started, you know, rediscovering him. It was almost like a bit of a renaissance that, you know, continued for years on. Yeah, they called us in the dark head. Yeah, touch head, touch head. Touchheads. 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 Well, how funny. I remember it is. that. So here we are 30 years later, the old coots that were the young bucks at the time. It always makes me laugh because when I started seeing shows in the 80s, late 80s, it was, you know, why are you, you know, you weren't here in the 70s. You weren't here, you know, the pig pen days. And now, you know, we're the old fucks, right? You know, the, the touchers you like that are still hanging on, you know, 30 years later. It is, uh, I, I find the whole thing pretty cool. Yeah, I remember in the late 90s or in the mid 90s, you know, when um the next generation of uh I guess of deadheads were starting to come in. Um I remember these shows got pretty rowdy. Even 95 was a very rowdy year, you know, right before uh Jerry passed. And I remember all these these kids who were kids to me then, you know, when Jerry passed away, they had Fish, which was, you know, their opportunity to experience, I guess, what we had experienced for the the decade beforehand. Um, a lot of the guys that I became friends with started touring in the mid seventies. Uh, I, you know, a lot of the old timers, you know, who I'm now friends with, you know, people that went to the shows in the early seventies um, and late sixties, uh, weren't around really in the late eighties. It was a different yeah. band, I guess, in their from their perspective. Yeah, well, it really has been um, an evolution. I mean, you know, 30 years of playing and 50-some-odd years, 51, 52 years of of incarnations now. So, like a living, breathing organism, you know, it just keeps changing with the people and the music and the players and, you know, and the music never stops. And so I think that's kind of where I look at it now, you know. Right, right. Now, from 87 to 87 and 88, I only went to a handful of shows, but, you know, really memorable shows. I went down uh, to Hampton Coliseum in 1988. I remember I heard Might As Well. I remember a buddy of mine hanging out of the car window on the way down there with a full stick of tie, uh, tie stick, a full stick, which is something that you never would see in 2016. It's just uh, not something that's around, but it was, you know, um, tie stick actually came on a stick. Mm-hmm. It was the whole stick, and it was very different than, you know, than, at least at the time, from other cannabis at the time. So it was funny. He's hanging out the highway on the way down to Virginia 
with, uh, <laughs> with a huge bud in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, well, let's get us up to 1989 because we we picked a lot of shows and a lot of songs. So I, w- I want to hear about this. I want to hear about uh, I want to hear about uh, what what went down in July. Well, what really you know, as far as Philly was, uh, you know, uh, July seventh, 1989 was sort of a, a linchpin show. It was a banner show for a number of reasons in Philly. First of all, it was a uh, uh, it was. I believe it was the last show at JFK. The, 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 uh, the stadium really crumbled under our feet that night. You know, and I had been to JFK previously for Live Aid, and that's where the Army-Navy game was every year at that time in the 80s and in the 90s. Um, or in the 80s, because uh, on July 7th, 1989, well, first of all, we, we did something that I don't think people... Uh, you know, young people nowadays really get. We slept out for tickets for the show, you know, wow. a couple of months beforehand. You know, people sure. don't real people don't sleep out for tickets anymore. That's not a practice. You know, you get on the internet, and if you can beat the ticket bot, then you get a ticket if you're in the first right. two minutes. But back then, they, they would sell. There were ticket masters had or, or ticket masters had outlets. And we would all go there and sleep out, uh, uh, you know, 24 hours ahead of time, get in a line with a lawn chair and a cooler yeah. and whatever else. And, uh, we would wait and uh, we would wait till the line opened up and then we would get our tickets in the morning. And that's not something that, that happens anymore. But for that show, I think all of Philly must have been sleeping out for <laughs> July 7th, 1989. Well, was it at least spring by then? Okay, so we're talking Philly for a July show. I'm trying to I'm trying to put myself right there. So was it a wasn't it was was it freezing out? Right, you're not you're not waiting in December or January. Or I, I re- my my recollection of waiting out the night before. I had a good friend Sean, and he fell asleep in a sleeping bag waiting out. And there was a trash you know can full of whatever, and the thing was leaking, and it just it somehow. Uh, it found its way to Sean while he was sleeping, and so when he got up, he was just covered with dirty oh and gross water. <laughs> I, I can't remember exactly when it was that they were on sale, but it was probably uh, in the spring. spring. It was probably yeah. sometime in the spring. So so you wait in line, you get the tickets, and then the show. So tell me a little bit of the show, then we're going to play the song that you selected. Well, we got to the show, and I do remember it was an incredibly hot day there, and you know the place was full. There was there was probably a hundred thousand people there. You know, JFK was in a complex with the Spectrum uh, and Vet Stadium, and parking was everywhere. You know, uh, among that complex, and JFK uh, was an old style, uh, huge stadium, and. There were probably a hundred thousand people in attendance that day, uh, ninety thousand at least. It was it was just so full, and uh, you know this is the stadium that I had seen Live Aid in, and I had seen the Synchronicity concert there. It was you know when Michael Jackson was in town, that's where he played as well. So uh, we get there, and it was a hot day, and I remember the, the there were these huge water guns that they would just turn on the crowd and just spray down the crowd with these huge water guns. 
but which had probably added to the demise of that stadium because literally (laughs) the stadium was crumbling under our feet. And if memory serves me correct, the next show there was The Who. And Mm -hmm. I think they canceled that show and closed down that stadium. I, I, I may be wrong. There may have been one other show in that stadium, but I think the Grateful Dead show on July 7th, 1989 brought, literally brought the house down. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Well, that's, that's, I guess, that's, yeah, that's, that's history. That's history happening. And when we were there, uh, I mean, the, Philly loved Brent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just loved it. And Brent loved Philly, you could tell. And the performance that he gave at that show was extraordinary. It was absolutely memorable. Every time he was in Philly, it was uh, a Brent thing, you know. Um, you know, there was he was always singing a song or two, and uh, uh, and the crowd went wild when he would perform. So, uh, so that that again, the, the perfect full circle moment. And 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 listeners, this is not staged at all. But we are now going to hear Brent blow away JFK, right? The last <laughs> the last show there. So uh, that that all that all that all works out uh, in it's with a tiny little bow. So uh, so we're going to go in and hear it. So let's hear uh, let's hear some of uh, Brent blowing away JFK Stadium on July seventh, nineteen eighty nine. And uh, I always kind of remind people at the beginning, um, and we have five songs to choose. So I'm going to just do a nice little chunk of this, two, three, four minutes, and then I'm going to have the full song on the uh, separate attachment. So let's, uh, let's get a little, a little taste of this, and then, uh, then we're going to come back and, uh, and go into the 90s and, uh, and hear um, what was next along the road. So uh, everyone enjoy.
are now back from listening to Brent Blowaway, JFK, and uh, and there's there's a, a little bit more stories going on out here on the East Coast. Uh, tell me about um tell me about Madison Square Garden. You had a couple fun stories about that. I did. Before I get to that, uh, in eighty in in a couple days after the JFK show, uh, the Dead played in Giants. They played two shows in Giants, the ninth and tenth of July. The show on the tenth was the biggest rainstorm I've ever been in at a concert. And I remember when they, they went into Tennessee Jed that day on July 10th. And as they went in, the storm just took hold. And there were, I don't know, 50,000, 60,000 just soaking wet deadheads in, wow. in Giants Day. It was an incredible moment. And I, I'm sure anyone who was there will remember it. It's almost like a Woodstock story, right? You know, like um, when the rain came, you know, like that's that's what I imagine, you know, of that uh of of that East Coast summer storm, you know, where everything uh where everything comes on, you know, strong. Well, so much of the Grateful Dead's music and so much of uh my experience with the Grateful Dead is is frankly weather related. You know, a, a lot of their a lot of their music uh, addresses, you know, the change and the change in season, the change in people's temperament. And I really do believe that the change in season, uh, has a profound, uh, effect on all of us. And, and we all go through changes along with the seasons. And the music, uh, really describes that and, and helps us, you know, cope with it and, and, and address it, you know, as we're going through these changes. Well, that is a very cool perspective. I've never thought about it like that, but I'm, uh, I, I really like, I really like that. That's super cool. Um, absolutely. No, it's, it is. And it's funny for me because my, my experiences in the summer were just a little different because everything was on the West Coast and now living on the East Coast, but coming from the West Coast, um, you know, the weather and the seasons mean so many different things, you know? Right. I know, uh, I remember my first West Coast show. Uh, at Cal Expo in '92, and uh, I, I heard um, I, I heard a version of um, a bird song there, and it really dawned on me the difference that bird song means to the West Coast than had it than it had meant to me on the East Coast. Uh, hearing the song, it, songs take on different meanings, uh, I guess, in different places. You know, I was a first set junkie, and so I used to try and pick out that Wednesday show in the middle of nowhere because I knew I would be getting what what my brother and I call the state songs, you know, mm-hmm. Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, whatever it is, you know, and we used to love, you know, the state songs, and we were real first set junkies, which which kind of brings me to the next show that uh, I wanted to talk about, which was September 10th, 1991. Um yeah. I had a moment during the first set there that uh, you know that uh, anybody who goes any tour heads who go to a bunch of shows uh, you know uh, can relate to. I had that moment where I locked eyes with Jerry Garcia, and for a few seconds, uh, whatever it was, you know, he was. Pl- I felt that he was playing to me, you know, at that moment, which was you know uh, something that I've recounted with other people and they've recounted their own stories of, of that same type of thing. Right. Oh, I'm sure he was, you know, I mean, I think that, 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 that connection is, is, uh, what locks, what brings us in and then locks you down for sure. 
Right. Well, I, it was. It was. Uh, it was like there was eye contact, whether there was or not. It was in my mind. It was like there was eye contact, and uh, you know, and he was smiling at me, and there was just that moment in time, and it was. You know, Branford was on the stage, and they're playing. It takes a lot to laugh. It takes a train to cry, and it was such a, a amazing moment that um, you know I, I really spent the next I'd say twenty twenty five years trying to chase down that song. You know, uh, I know further played it once in Eugene, Oregon. I wasn't there at the show. Um, um, I, I never really heard. I've heard it played by musicians that at my request, but I never got that sort of that glimpse at that song again uh, on that level. Um, you know, um, since that night. So that's wow. why that night is so memorable to me. Wow. Well, it's like a little, like a like a little magic capsule. You know, like a like a, a rare thing, like a that that rare needle in the haystack, having the moment with Jerry in the song, and then have it be almost like it never happened, I'm sure, you know, because you don't, I mean, not that it didn't happen, but it's not something that is in the catalog that you see. So I'm sure that just the elusiveness makes it even more special. Yeah, it, because you don't know. I mean, you know, the, he it, Jerry could have been just looking in, who knows, those lights are bright when you're on stage. And I know <laughs> that from being, you know, from being on the other side. Uh, you know, from, th- you know, throwing these charity concerts that I've been throwing. So I do know that the lights are bright up there, and I don't know ultimately if you, if you can see who's, uh, in seventh row or not, which is where I was at the time. Um, but in my mind, I had that eye contact, and I, and Jerry was playing, and he was playing to me directly, and for that moment in time, that's how I registered. Well, that is awesome, and I, I, uh, I, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, well, let's hear it. Cause again, this isn't a song that I'm, I'm really even very familiar with. And so I was able to track this down. So I'm really excited to bring you back to that moment and bring everyone to that, to that song and to that place. So I am going to now go into, it takes a lot to laugh and it takes a lot to cry from September 10th, 1991, in Madison Square Garden.
listening to It Takes a Lot to Laugh, It Takes a Lot to Cry, and uh, and we're going to go a little farther down the road. And, uh, me and, you know, me and Rob were talking for a minute, and, uh, I mean, this is, uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of common themes in uh, in his show, so this is, uh, this is, this is really fun. So tell, tell me a little bit about the, the next uh, stop on the journey. Well, the next stop is the Snowstorm Show. So um, I, I, a lot of these are weather-related, which is unique. And like I said before, uh, the Grateful Dead's music is so weather-related, and we are so uh, – and we change. Seasons change, and we change. So on March 14th, 1993 uh, – well, actually on the 13th, we drove up to um, – we drove up from Washington, D.C., a bunch of buddies and, and, and me. We drove up to uh, Washington, from Washington, D.C., up to Ohio, up to Ridgefield Coliseum. And this was a snowstorm like no others. You know, it was March, and it was right. mid-March, and you would expect, you know, sort of in like, a, in like a line out like a lamb, but this was uh, winter's last hurrah, I guess. 
and there were trucks stranded on the side of the road. And, you know, we made it the night before to Washington, PA, and then we got up the next day, and we were driving in, uh, at, at that time I had a Pathfinder, and we were driving in my Pathfinder, but, of course, the radio was out because, um, you know, it was a college car, and, uh, right. and you know, um, it did the best I could to upkeep it, but we had no radio work. CD player was working, though, so we were playing CDs and all that on the way up. And when we got to Richfield Coliseum, we didn't know because the uh, the radio was out, but the concert was canceled on the 13th. So okay. we had a fight. So there we are in the middle of the frozen tundra of Richfield Coliseum's parking lot, all alone. There's a, can- uh, uh, a canceled concert. Um, I did have... I do recall that, uh, as a side note, I did find a $10 bill in the snow on the ground. So, so there was Well, that's that. a win. <laughs> that was that victory. <laughs> and uh, we stayed in, I remember we stayed in Independence, a town called Independence, which I guess was outside of Cleveland. And the hotel, I, I can't remember what uh, uh, Blue Light Hotel it was, but it was just full of deadheads, you know, that had come from everywhere to, to see this show. And, um, you know, the treat was that the, uh, the next night's performance. So they had, uh, we went into the show on March 14th after having weathered this incredible storm. And we all, you know, we're, what are they going to play? What are they going to play? And so, um, you know, the big song was uh, uh, the brown-eyed women that they played. Because, again, there were weather-related themes. It snowed so mm-hmm. hard the roof caved in. And so uh, uh, I think you may have that queued up, and you'll hear a big cheer on that song. I will tell you um, that they did bust out "I Fought the Law" that night, so that was oh, fun. that was the bust that we got for having weathered that uh, humongous snowstorm. Wow! Well, that's awesome. Well, I'm uh, I'm excited to hear because I have not heard this version, and uh, it sounds like there's a a lot of uh, a lot of power behind it. So, uh so let's go into that and uh and I think uh yeah, let's 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 go in. It snowed so hard that the roof caved in. Um wow, so cool. So let's enjoy and then we will be back and uh and we got a, a couple more stops cuz cuz uh, you have a a uh, you have a long and windy road that that never stops. So uh which is just so fun. So everybody enjoy and then uh and we'll be back.
back from listening to uh, Brown-Eyed Women. And uh, so the next turn on the journey is, um, I mean, a lot of changes. And I feel like then so many of the podcasts of people who have been, you know, so vested in the music and the community for so long, there's always, there's a lot of bit of a hiatus. But with you, there isn't a hiatus. So I'm, I'm excited for you to show the next journey. Right. Well, I, you know, I was very fortunate, you know, um, when I was in law school um, in the in the mid '90s, um, you know, uh, I had a very understanding uh, girlfriend who later became my wife, and you know, she said to me, um, "Look, you know, Rob, if you could just stay local, you know, New York, Philly, Boston, Washington, you know, then you won't be you you won't be missing classes. You'll be able to get through law school and all that." So I made that deal, you know, uh, to try and stay local in '94 and '95. But only after, you know, uh, I, I said to my girlfriend, who's my wife now for 20 years, I said, I said, look, you know, I'll do that, but how about you come on a whole tour with me? So in 94, before, you know, I decided to sort of settle down to the local Northeast area, um, um, my, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and she was never really a deadhead, but, you know, enjoyed the music. She went to 20 shows in 1994 alone, which was, you know, wow. pretty amazing. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is a, that's a, that's a, that's so cool. That's a, that's a keeper over there. Right. Well, and then even in 95, you know, when I was, I was working at Department of Justice in the Admiralty Aviation Division on the day that Garcia died and she called me and she said, you know, are you, are you sitting down? And, um, you know, I was and all that. And so, uh, you know, uh, she told me that Garcia died, and I w- really took it hard, you know. So I went out to one of the stairwells at 26 Federal Plaza, and I was having a cigarette there, and in comes uh, one of these D- FBI agents who I was buddies with, and he says to me, uh, and he's, what's wrong, Rob? You know, he smoked a pipe. It wasn't a, a weed pipe. It was uh, uh, tobacco, regular, you know, old guy kind of pipe, not a corn cob. And uh, mm-hmm. he says, you know, what's wrong, Rob? And I said, you know, Garcia just died. So this guy tells me how in the 70s he, uh, he was working with the DEA and he used to tour around and have dinner with Garcia and all that, how they were best buds. It was the wow. craziest conversation in the middle of the federal building. But, yeah, that, that's my recollection of Jerry's passing, which was, you know, obviously, you know, and then we went to Central Park that night um, uh, to where, you know, the Imagine uh, area where John Lennon um, with the, ca- the candles and all that are set up. And, and we didn't know what to do. Right. We didn't know what to do. It was the same. It, 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 ultimately, when Brent had died five years earlier, it was very similar. We Deadheads all got together and we didn't know what to do because we were just sort of totally lost in time and space. And we were waiting for the other band members to figure out what to do. So right. along comes the other one. 
I think in 90, I can't remember when they started. Uh, they had this, this further sort of uh, 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 festival type thing, and then they, uh, it wasn't further the band, they had this further sort of festival thing, and then they had the other ones. And mm-hmm. I went to a couple of other ones shows. I remember going to one in, Sar- in Saratoga, but the one that really sticks out in my memory is July 1798. I went... My brother and I went out, flew out to St. Louis, and we saw the first, um, uh, we, we saw another one show there. And, you know, Hornsby was playing with that band, and um, I can't remember who else was with that band. But what I remember from that show is the first time that I saw Keith, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I, people had said, oh, there's Keith, there's Keith. I said, what's Keith? You know, it's the first time that I actually saw what Keith was. You know, which was uh, my recollection. I remember they did not sing Black, uh, Black-Throated Wind that night. They did sing a bunch of uh, songs about the river, you know, the Mississippi mm-hmm. or the Missouri, which we were sitting on, both of them. I think that's where the Riverport Amphitheater is. But they did not sing uh, Black-Throated Wind, but they did no. sing a, a bunch of river songs. Uh, so to what about Mississippi half Fest up? Yeah, they probably mm, did. Probably I, I, played I, that. I know they sung a Bruce Hornsby song about the river, too. and It was a great okay. song. I also have a recollection of, you know, there were groups of people that used to go to dead shows that were called spinners. I don't know mm-hmm. if they still exist, but they did uh, mm-hmm. at the time. And there was one girl who was a spinner. She, the entire show, she spun. And I, I, uh, my, uh, my brother and I were calling her Gandhi. Because she mm-hmm. was spinning the entire show without a break. It was like she was wow. on a, a spinning hunger strike or something like that. But it wow. was, you know, and, um, you know, you used to go into when you would come out of your, uh, in, in an indoor stadium when you, or even an outdoor stadium when you'd be walking around, there would, the halls would be full of people spinning. Oh, and yeah. There used to be groups I think, of it. I, I don't know if that Oakland still Coliseum. exists anymore. No, I, I mean... I don't know. I mean, I not as much, but I mean, Oakland Coliseum, or I mean, again, back to my California experiences. I mean, the hallways just jammed, or the or shoreline up at the top of the lawn, you know. And uh, yeah, no, it was. Uh, I would spin for a few minutes, but uh, I would never <laughs> had never had the dedication to spin during a whole show. A know? whole show spinning. Said, yeah, that's a, I could not do a whole show. I couldn't do you know a whole show doing any one thing, and I and I think it depended on um. What I was partaking in that night on, um, you know, what I was doing. So I, I think that's probably a fair assessment for most of us. Though. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, there were the shows that you wanted to be down on the floor up close, and there were the shows that you wanted to be tucked away somewhere in the back. <laughs> yeah. No, so, I think it, it all depends on the venue, the crowd, your mood, and, again, what what you were uh, dipping into that night. I think there was a, a lot of different factors that went into, uh, you know, what what, uh, what what the output was. Um, for this. Well, I have, uh, I want to go on and talk about, we have a couple more songs and then I have something else that I really want to ask you about because, you know, one of the ways, and you know, goes back to how we connected. So let's, let's play, let's do the, uh, let's go to 2012 because this is our, our last, last weather story. So while we're on that and then we have got a couple more, um, couple of more topics when we get back. Okay. So tell me Just a real bit quick about before we get this. to 2012, there were a couple other shows in '99 that are worth mentioning. First, Phil came sure. back with uh, you know he 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 got a liver transplant and he came back 
April uh, 1999. He played three shows at the Warfield, and I was lucky enough to be at one of those shows um, and to go and see him perform with Trey and uh, with a guy named Fishman who plays with Fish. Um, I also There was also a, a moment when I was at, in Worcester in, in November of 99 where I actually met Trey on the floor. I didn't know it was him <laughs> until my brother came and told me that it was him. And, um, you know, he did ask me what I thought of Fish's music. And, you know, I gave him an honest answer, which was not um, emphatically positive. And, um, I, and then I later came to find out that it was, you know, Trey that I was talking with, speaking with. So it was kind of a oh, funny wow. story for the night, yeah. So we're going to play a little Stella Blue from the Warfield show from 1999. And um, it's, uh, we're just going to do a little taste of this because we have so many good shows and so much songs in here. So uh, let's all enjoy listening to some Stella Blue. And this is from the Warfield on April 16th, 1999. And then we're going to get back and go hop on to 2012. Well, back from listening to Stella Blue in 1990, and now we are turning the century to the new millennium. And uh, there again, you've been just on the bus the whole time and have so many stories. So tell me a little snapshot about uh, what happened, uh, you know, in 2000, um, between 2000 and 2010, just a, just a little overview of uh, where, where, where you were at with your stories and experience. You know, from 2000 to 2010, the really, um, Phil Esch, uh, carried the torch, you know, mainly with the Q and with an, uh, a few other key players. And, uh, Bob Weir carried the torch with, with Rat Dog and a few other key players. And I, th- I want to make mention of all of these, you know, very important musicians and, uh, and, and very beloved musicians that worked with 
both Bobby and Phil, you know, Haynes and Claypool and Fish and Ryan Adams, uh, Jackie Green and the National and Soul Live, all these great uh, artists that performed with Phil and with Bobby during that time period, um, you know, before, you know, uh, Phil and Bobby got back together in, I think it was the end of 2009 or maybe the beginning of 2010 for further. Um, so during that time period, we had the, we had such a great benefit, both on the West Coast and the East Coast, uh, of seeing, uh, Phil Lesh play with all these great players and Bob Weir playing with all these great players. And it was really, uh, sort of a rebirth of the music that we, um, that we love and that, you know, um, that we've that we've been you know uh, dancing to <laughs> for all these years, and so um, during that time period, I'm pro- I'm sure I went to see Phil and Bobby over 150 times at different wow. venues, um, and uh, and and all, and mainly with these players that I mentioned before, and you know, and John Molo and Rob Rocco with Phil and. Um, uh, Steve Kimmock and and uh, uh, with 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 Bobby and um, Cimenti and all these great players that you know that we love so much now. Right, we, and we love now, and they're thriving. I mean, we they're they're filling out venues, and people are going, and uh, and it's it's amazing. Yeah, Warren's playing with orchestras now. The the music that we've been listening to all this time, and and he's. Uh, and, Really giving us and Jack. Look at Jackie Green, who's who, who may be taking the helm as the hardest working man in show business. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he's playing. It seems like he's playing every night somewhere uh, different in the country, and it's really great to see. And you know that really brings me to um, to this incredible show that I saw with Jackie and Phil in 2012. It was just a moment of time, another weather-related moment. It, it was a show. <laughs> It was a show on the heels of Hurricane Sandy. It was a couple days after. Nobody had electricity. Uh, none of us had slept. We were all cold and bedraggled, and and uh, and you know our, we were filling our generators with gasoline to get whatever little power we could. And um, um, and then a couple days after Sandy, the night of this show in uh, in North Jersey at the Wellmont Theater. In comes this nor'easter. So we just had Sandy. We've got no heat. We've got no electricity. And here comes this nor'easter storm. So a few of us, and I'd say there was probably four to 600 people made it to that show and uh, uh, made it out to the Wellmont Theater. And uh, we got treated with this incredible treat. Um, you know, I realized by, uh, by the time Jackie was singing Let Me Sing Your Blues Away, uh, I, th- I, I realized since I'd never heard that song before, and why would I, um, that they were playing the entire Wake of the Flood. So what an incredible experience it was. Wow. Wow. That's so cool. Well, I am going to play just a little chunk of it. I'm going to play the uh, Let Me Sing Your Blues Away portion. And, uh, and again, in efforts to keep it not super long, I'll do, again, a nice chunk, but doing the whole Wake of the Flood, I mean, we can do a whole we we could do a whole nother a whole nother show on that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh well let's go in and hear a bit about that and then we have one more uh one more song story and then a couple more things I want to ask you about. So uh everybody uh enjoy and we will be back.
Well, now back from listening to just a little bit of Wake of the Flood, Let Me Sing Your Blues Away. And uh, we're in 2012, but uh, it's about a month later and uh, about 3,000 miles away. So I want you to tell me a little bit about New Year's Eve. Well, it, it was the 30th. Um, I, I typically don't go to the shows on New Year's Eve because I spend it with my kids. And, you know, I make pizza bagels, an old tradition. I'll tell Shanker's mm-hmm. Barn story to my kids with my grandfather's old story uh, growing up in Chelsea, Massachusetts, probably not too far from where you are. And um, so on the 30th, you know, I'd made arrangements to go out to California and see a friend of mine, Carlo Lala, and I was really excited, you know. I mean, how many of uh, there are people that we become friends with on Facebook, and then we become friends with them in real life. And Carlo was one of those people, and he was actually the first one of those people. We had so many shared common interests because Carlo and I were both from Philly, you know, around the same time, and we've been to probably most of these shows that I've recounted to you. He'd been there as well. So Carlo and I became friends and uh, on Facebook, and then we we went out to California, and we met up at the show, and you know, really, since then, Carlo and I have been, you know, like like peas and carrots. So, um, so uh, this particular show was incredible. I brought my daughter, who was 12 at the time. They, you know, my family came out to San Francisco with me, and my daughter came to the show on the 30th, and it was just such an exceptional show because at, at the end of the show, they played this "Going Down the Road into We Bid," and you know, everybody knows that end of going down the road sounds like the intro to we bid you good night but uh, as far as i'm aware the grateful dead uh and any incarnations uh sub grateful dead never really uh never played it that way and so you were always left hanging at the end of going down the road that you know where's the we bid well that night uh, i believe again for the first time they played it that way and what an mm-hmm. incredible experience you know um, and I do remember Sunshine Becker singing uh, Lay Down My Dear Sisters, and my daughter just loved that. She just loved that, that Sunshine was including, you know, women into the song as well. It was very, right. it was a, a momentous experience, and uh, um, I think that's something that people will enjoy listening to. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm going to do just the very end of Going Down the Road, and then go into We Bid You Goodnight. So this is going to be our final song on the podcast, but we are going to come back because I have a couple more questions and, uh, and want to say goodbye. So let's, uh, let's hear this, and this is from 12-30-2012, and, uh, and then we will be back uh, to say goodbye.
We are back, and I just, you know, these podcasts are so much fun, and I mean, what a world we live in, because, I mean, I want to say, wow, 80% of the people at this point that I've met, I have met through, per your story earlier, you know, Facebook or Twitter, and then I get to meet them in real life, and then we get to be friends, and uh, and I am so excited to come down to New York in February to see the Tree of Life concert, and I, I want you to tell me a little bit about it, and I want you to share some of the information with the listeners. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Tree of Life um, is uh, a fundraising benefit concert for adults with developmental disabilities, meaning you know autism or uh, Down syndrome, something like that. Uh, what we want to do, ultimately, is create housing, uh, and employment opportunities for adults with developmental disabilities. You know, from 1998 through 2003, there was a real spike in autism, in the autism rate, and especially here in the East Coast, but also, as I've learned, in the West Coast as well, um, and, and in certain other urban areas. Um, and there is a real shortage of housing for adults with developmental disabilities because the traditional group homes are going to people that have 
more serious physical impairments. And there are no longer institutions or appropriate type places where, uh, with, where individuals with developmental disabilities can reside. So what happens is uh, these children uh, reside at home, and when their parents pass away, uh, they become sort of the ward of their siblings. I have a mm-hmm. son, my, uh, my, my oldest son and daughter, I have uh, two sons, but my oldest son and daughter uh, are twins, and uh, my son is severely autistic. Presently, he goes to school up at Center for Discovery, Monticello, New York, and it's a wonderful, wonderful place, and I'm grateful, entirely grateful. In fact, some of the musicians who are playing Tree of Life have gone up there and played birthday show. Scott Metzger and Ellie Peck played a birthday show for Aaron. You know, up in uh, last March, um, uh, and it was just the residents and uh, the staff of Center for Discovery, and they played a private show for them for my son's birthday. It was really a wonderful thing. So a couple of years ago, I decided I wanted to create a fundraising concert, uh, you know, uh, sort of along the lines of the Bridge School, but really to uh, so I could create housing for adults with, you know, developmental disabilities and employment opportunities. Um, I spoke to all these musicians who, again, I, st- I became friends with on social media. I became friends with them on Facebook. Uh, some of them live in person. Alex Coford, uh, I became uh, friends with live in person. Scott Metzger, uh, uh, Elliot Peck, um, you know, Alex Nelson, um, um, Jackie Green, um, um, Jason Crosby, uh, you know, uh, Sunshine Becker, these are all, they're all coming together for this purpose and they're playing this gala concert, seven hour concert wow. on February 25th. There's going to be seven sets. And what Tree of Life likes to do is mix and match up the musicians. And the reason is, is because ultimately the housing complex that we intend to develop where their residents will be disabled, they will work in a venue. There will be a venue there, and we're hoping, and the the the, the plan is for the these musicians who are our friends will come there and do a residency for a couple of days and work with the residents and play uh, benefit shows. And so this is the this is the plan going forward into the future um, to have sort of this marriage between special needs and the music that the special needs community loves so much. Oh, that's awesome. Well, music is therapy, and therapy is music, right? It it truly is. It truly (laughs) is. That's how I feel in my life, so, you know. It uh absolutely that is uh well that is so beautiful I I can't wait I'm so excited and we will meet in person I mean we may meet before but I mean it's already Christmas so if not before I am so excited for that trip and um so this is going to be so give give the stats so everyone, everyone get out their pen for the website and the the the, the information so so it's uh so it's out there the rough trade in New York City okay um. Tickets are available at roughtradenyc.com. Um, the, um, there will be, uh, it's limited availability because the venue doesn't hold that many, uh, people. There will be, um, again, it's going to be a seven hour event. Uh, it's going to be seven sets. I mean, there's just, wow. uh, the, so many performers that I've come to know and that have become friends of mine. Uh, over uh, along along the way in the last several years, you know, Katie Jacoby will be there. Uh, Alex Jordan is playing. 
Uh, Jason and Chris Crosby are playing together. They're going to be another brothers set. Uh, I'm sure um, um, there's likely to be more surprises. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be as many musicians be- in the in the in the in the venue watching the show as there are performing. Oh wow! So it's well, I am so excited. No, and I mean it's 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 going to be such a great night, and and then for such a an amazingly necessary cause you know that's right. uh that's 100 percent of the hundred percent of the uh, proceeds go to ferncliff manor which is a housing development school in yonkers new york they're very good friends of mine they've been around for generations they are a part of the community and i'm grateful to them hundred percent one hundred percent of the proceeds go wow. to ferncliff uh ferncliff manor uh, and uh, and that's the way we've done it in the past. This is the third tree of life, and that's the way we've done it in the past. The, all the money goes to these uh, to these five hundred one c threes that that provide housing and create uh, opportunities for adults and children with developmental disabilities. And it's um, I, my heart is in it, and the the all the musicians have been so supportive. Of this cause, I'm eternally grateful to them. Well, I cannot wait, and uh, I, I yeah, cannot wait. Absolutely excited about it. Meeting you in person and seeing the show. So, um, it sounds like a real bang for your buck for a weekend uh, down to Ma- down from Massachusetts, and um, I'm I'm excited. Right now, well, I would I would encourage people to go uh, uh, to uh, Rough Trade New York uh, NYC.com for tickets. I would also uh, encourage people to visit ferncliffmanor.org uh, for their uh, for you know to learn about Ferncliff. There's also sponsorship opportunities and VIP seating if you're interested in that. Rough Trade has got this incredible. Rough Trade is is uh, is basically a venue that's made of opened up shipping containers. It's an unbelievable venue. I just saw Green Day there with 150 people. It was, a, wow. it, was a, it was like being at a 1984 punk show, you know, <laughs> unbelievable. So uh, I would encourage people to check out both Rough Trade New York City NYC uh, for tickets and uh, also uh, FernCliffManor.org to learn more about Ferncliff and to see how you can get involved. Well, that sounds good. Well, I am. I am. Uh, I know I'm on it, and uh, I'm glad that uh, glad that we're getting this out there for uh, for as many people to learn about it in as many different ways as possible. So, and thank well, you, Stacy, so much for this opportunity to sort of tell my story. And oh, I love your story. Your story is so good. Your story is so. Your story is so such a. You know, it's the ultimate. What a long, strange trip it's been. Story, right? I mean, it sounds so cliche to say that, but I mean, your story has um, has. There's just so much meat on the bones. It's so exciting to hear it because uh, it's it's a story with lots and lots of meat on the bones, and those are those are the best stories. So thank you for sharing it with everyone. And thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to t- to let everybody know, and especially to talk about you know what's near and dear to my heart, which is the the Tree of Life show. Absolutely. Well, we will uh, see each other soon. And uh, as always, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye. We're gonna play
listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.